Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Labor Pains Podcast. It's brought to you by Women Connect and Support and I am your host, Teresa. This podcast is a place where we have men and women share their experiences, share their stories of infertility or loss of a child during pregnancy or infancy. Wow, they share so much. It is just unbelievable to me the amount of encouragement and advice that these men and women are giving through sharing their story. We also have episodes occasionally of experts that give us some resources to help each and every one of you if you are going through some struggles to help you through your journey. So stay tuned for those. Today's guest is Stacy. Oh my gosh, what an amazing woman. She had a loss of a child. She um, has several children that she has fostered. She has had children that she has fostered and then adopted. And believe it or not, she has started a nonprofit through all of that and is now an inspirational speaker. This woman is amazing. She is really out to change the lives of so many children to eventually change our world for the better. Hello, and Stacy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You're doing okay today? I am doing awesome today. Today is a awesome. Good deal. Good deal. Well, we're going to start with allowing you to tell the listeners who is Stacy. I am Stacy Williams. I am 52 years old. I am a foster mom, adopted mom, and a mom by birth. I have a total of eight children. Um, Five boys and three girls. One of my boys is an angel. Mm-hmm. I retired from law enforcement about two years ago. I also run a nonprofit called Austin's Place. My son, who was an is an angel, Austin Alexander. It was named after him to help kids that are in crisis. I also am a brand ambassador for a company called Globally, where I sell uh, health products, which are keeping me pretty strong and able to keep up with the seven people <laughs> at my house. <laughs> wow. I used to have a lot more energy than I do, and now I have to try and meet them where they are. <laughs> wow. Girl, you got stuff going on. Not sure. Stuff going on here at this house, there is never a dull moment. That's awesome. That keeps you young just in itself. Yeah. <laughs> if you want boring or dull, my house is not the place to be. Okay. Even if you want quiet, my house is not the place to be. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. I never liked quiet, but I, as COVID has um, kind of consumed us with everything, it's forced us for quiet, at least in my house. But I only live with my husband. So quiet, I'm learning to enjoy more and more. Never used to, but I'm learning to enjoy it now. Right. Um, So tell me, it sounds like children have totally surrounded you and are a big part of your life. When did you decide that you wanted to have children? Um. Was that when you were young? Was that when you finished your career and got things started, you know, in your career, I should say? Or when you met the right guy? Or when did children come into your mind that you wanted them? My mom and my grandma have always been the type of people to where if a child was not being taken care of, they always had the child. So we were raised helping other people with their kids, not so much Mm. as a a formal adoption. A lot of times um, homes do informal adoptions where this kid is with you all the time for two, three years, but there's not been an adoption. So my grandma and my mom both did that. Well, I grew up with that. You know, there were Mm -hmm. always cousins living with us. There were, you know, always. I can't remember a time that there weren't cousins or 
informal cousins that were no not related to us biologically, but we called cousins that lived mm-hmm. with us because my mom would take care of them. So I knew about 12 years old, 11 or 12, somewhere around in there, that I wanted to adopt. And okay. I always said I'd be like Mia Farrow and I'd have a rainbow tribe because I don't care about race. I don't care about sex. I didn't get to pick my race or my sex. I'm sure no one else got to pick. And if I found mm-hmm. out they did, I would probably be a little upset. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would have been a Hispanic girl with tall uh, legs, with long hair down to my waist, with an hourglass figure, and I didn't get any of that. So, Ooh, okay. <laughs> but if, if you know, being there, you know, to have the kids, to to take care of the kids, like I said, 11 or 12, I knew mm-hmm. that. I knew that that's what I would do. I knew that's what I was called to do at that age. Wow. Yeah. And I think when we're brought up in that, you know, environment, it's just what we do. We don't even think about it. You know, it's just what happens, you know. Right. As we A move lot of forward. people understand that parents are the ones who teach your kids, because my mom never said to us, we need to take care of people who are less fortunate. We need to take care of people who are being hurt. My mom never said that. She modeled it every day. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So did you first, because you you just said that you wanted to, to have children and adopt children from very young, when did you decide that you would either have biologically your first child or adopt or foster your first child? I I wanted to have my first child first. Okay. It, it sounds uh, selfish, but it's mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Sure. So with fostering, I never really wanted to do fostering. I wanted to just straight adopt. Mm, okay. I was approached about doing foster care, and I was like, there's absolutely no way. And so there, as time goes on, you know, God spoke to me and said, you know, that how selfish are you that you can't deal with a little bit of separation anxiety? And these children have gone through more in their short lives than you'll ever endure. And so mm. I, I decided to do foster care. They wanted me to do foster care for babies that were going to adoptive homes. So it would only be like a three days to a week at the most. Mm. I could not do that. I felt like I needed to have my biological child first or have, an, have a child that I adopted first before I could take a child in and then in, a, in three days to a week give that child out. Mm. Wow. So I did have my, um, my son, Austin, first. Okay. Uh, Unfortunately, he passed. Yeah, you had you had indicated that um, Austin had had passed, so he was your first born. Yeah. Um, what happened with with Austin, or do you know what happened? I mean, obviously, I you said there was a loss. Okay. I didn't know at the time because nobody was sure what had happened. I have incompetent cervix which means when a baby gets a certain weight, then the cervix starts opening up and the baby just slips through. That mm. was definitely a tough time in my life. A lot of times people are trying to be um, caring and concerning, but they say things that are really brutal and, and harsh. Um, I had one person tell me that, well, you can always have other kids. Mm. I was like, oh, my please don't talk anymore, don't speak anymore. Because that was just, that cut to the bone right there. And and then I say, which one of your kids would you be able to substitute for the other? It's not a substitution. Mm-hmm. And right. so once, you know, like one lady said, well, you know, he wasn't healthy. And I knew in my heart that he was. I knew it would have had to be something with me. And so I didn't find out until later on when I had my next biological child that I had incompetent cervix. The cervix was opening up when I was two months pregnant, so she would have fallen through as well. Oh, wow. 
Wow. So how long did you carry Austin? Around five months I carried him. And I waited the whole time. You know, they say the first trimester, oh, that's it. Once you pass that first trimester, you're Mm -hmm. on the own stretch. And so I, I, you know, you just kind of hold your breath until mm-hmm. the first trimester has passed. And then once it's passed, you're like, oh, you kind of breathe a little sigh of relief and you let your guard down and you start telling people only to, you know, a couple months, you know, into the second, then it's a problem. So. Wow. So you had no idea that you had that. And so walk us just, if, if it's not too difficult for you, walk us through Austin's loss. Um, Did you, were you at the hospital? Were you at the, a doctor's appointment no. to discover your cervix, you know, was open? What, what transpired? I was at a movie theater. And mm. I went to the restroom and... When I was all done, my water broke. So I'm like, oh, my goodness, what is going on? Because, you know, it's like you're peeing on yourself. Yeah. So my water broke there, and we we rushed to the hospital, and I had lost so much fluid and stuff by the time that we actually got to the hospital. And they finally got us in to, you know, check on the baby, which seems like, it seems like forever. Sure. Um, he had already passed, and so mm-hmm. I ended up. They wanted to do a DNC on him. I refused. I was like, "You would not cut him up. You will not." And so mm-hmm. they let me labor um, for a little while, and I labored, and then I gave birth to him. Okay. Okay. It was. It was. I mean, that was the time in my life where I know how people say. Um, don't go near, don't go to the edge. You're at the edge. My key Mm. is to not go over the edge. But that was the edge for me. He was my firstborn. He was, he was wanted. He was loved. He, I mean, I had his bed already and, you know, all the stuff that, um, you know, I knew would, would be awesome for him you know I had his whole life planned up for him yeah God's plan and my plan were not the same thing no no so I don't know at that time because you had indicated this has been a while ago he was your firstborn were you able to hold him were there pictures do you have anything to remember him physically I do have his birth certificate. I don't have pictures, and I didn't hold him. I was so distraught. distraught. And that is one decision that I do regret, that I didn't hold him and that we didn't take pictures. Um, So when I was there, but like I said, I wasn't thinking clearly. I am like, oh, my God, how could this happen? Um, You know, why didn't you save one of those babies that's being abused and, and save them from the abuse? He was loved. He was wanted. So the nurse came in when they saw that I, you know, I just couldn't, I couldn't leave. And they were, they don't do um, birth certificates for stillborns. Mm-hmm. And so she asked me, what could she do to make it better for me? I said, I cannot leave this hospital as if he never existed. I said, I have to have a birth certificate. And she said that, you know, they're not supposed to do it, but she would. And she asked me, was there anything else that she could do to make it better? And I told her if she could um, put his feet print on his birth certificate, that I would really, she just didn't know how much that would mean to me. And so she did. She went down to the, you know, place and got his, pulled him out and put his feet print on the birth certificate. And so the the design that we did for Austin's place, we actually took his footprint and lifted it off of his birth certificate to make the I in his name. 
So it's like he's there mm-hmm. watching us with all the kids. He's got his his stamp of approval on Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, yeah, I just for the listeners, I think almost all of the all of the women that I have talked to, those are some of the most precious things um, for women. Um, and I'm sorry that you didn't get to hold them and have pictures because those are things that women cherish. Um, and for okay. you, you cherish the birth certificate and that and that footprint. And I think the other thing is they really do, most women and men, the, hus- the, the father as well, um, want to remember that child um, and want to have a way to remember. And so for you, one of your ways to make sure that he is always remembered is the nonprofit that you started. Right. And so did you do that right away or was that down the road a little bit? I did not do that right away. What okay. I did pretty, maybe a year or two after, I did start helping kids whenever there was a, I'm sorry, a kid in the neighborhood or something like that, that they were like, oh, these kids are having a hard time. You know, they don't have clothes. I started donating clothes. And mm-hmm. that's how it started. And so then I would just, you know, talk to people and find out who needed what. We started donating food. We started clothes, shoes, pampers, wipes. So I've done that a long time. The nonprofit has only been in existence legally for the last, I think, two years. Okay. But the the mission of the nonprofit has been going on since, you know, a couple of years after Austin passed. Okay. Wow. How did you get through the grief? Uh, grace alone. And God's help because there was no way. I ended up um, taking off of work. Nobody knew I was pregnant at work. Mm. So I ended up taking off of work, a medical leave, for two weeks. And I think I stayed in my bedroom probably. My bathroom was connected to my bedroom. So in between those two areas, I stayed there for two weeks crying, looking up at the ceiling. I could I could have probably drawn the ceiling by memory in mm-hmm. those because I couldn't go on. I didn't want people saying crazy things to me. Um, so I actually ended up shutting everybody out. I had this face towel that I cried on, you know, and, and just I would not, like every day I was holding on to that towel. And I was crying on that towel. And then I ended up in the end writing a poem about that towel. I don't remember how it all goes. I know it was like most of mommy's tears for you have fallen upon this cloth. I've held on to it day and night. Without it, I would have been lost. And I don't remember the rest of it. But It's beautiful. it It was exhausting. It was nobody had the right words because there were no right words. Yeah. If you weren't able to bring my son to me, then, you know, nothing you could do or say would have been sufficient. And so and I didn't want to put everybody through that because that's a hard thing. You you want to say something. You want to be comforting. But you can't be comforting mm-hmm. because the only thing that will comfort me is my son. Yeah. So and I, yeah. And I think that's key for the listeners to know that really what a woman needs and a man is just you to be there. You cannot fix it with your words, but to just be there, a lot of times just in silence. And we talked, you know, a little bit about silence earlier, but to really just be there for that person, to almost physically just help them and, and not say words because, You know, we do think some of those things that we say, you know, like you had indicated, um, I believe, earlier, that you can have another child. Right. 
but that I think that just rolls off of some people. You know, they just say it. They don't know what to say, and that's what comes. And it is very, very hurtful. And I think that's that's a big thing that I would like to from the podcast is so people understand how hurtful some of those words can be. They are very hurtful, and 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 I know they're not meaning it, but it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the other thing is we have to, as women that are grieving that have had loss, that we know that their intentions were good and they did not mean in any way to hurt. And we have to be very forgiving of of the things that people say, especially at a time like that when they really don't have a clue what to say, you know. Right, because they're in a situation where they're just not just not as uncomfortable as I am, mm. but comfortable too because they love you and they want to do the best for you they just don't know how yeah it's a uh it's new um for everyone involved you know there's no guide to it and and we as people aren't taught you know what to do really there's no um um book to tell us how to help people through grief and especially the loss of a child. Exactly. So hopefully the podcast will help with some of that. So you lost Austin. And then what happened after that? Because um, you wanted to be surrounded by children. Right. After, after Austin died, I went ahead and got licensed to be a foster and adopted mom. Oh, okay. Um, I really, really wanted to be adopt only. I'll, I'll just tell you that. I really wanted to be adopt only because I always thought that I could never give a child back. Mm. That is my thing. I love, I love hard. So I wanted to just adopt the fear of, you know, disappointment, having to give the child back was more than I could even imagine. Yeah. To be quite honest. And so that's when, you know, God spoke to me and told me that. And so I did sign up to be a foster parent on down the, the road. But that was after I adopted um, my oldest daughter. So okay. Austin died in May of of the year and then that of that year and then I adopted Sydney in uh October that year. Wow, okay. Right. Uh, she was placed with me in October because she did, she came from foster care, but she was for adopt only. Okay. And so you get her, you place, but it's probably the it was the following year before she was actually adopted because it takes six to nine months for adoption. Sure. Right. And was she an infant? Or? She was. She was a newborn. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Everybody has their age range. And yeah. I feel like I do better with newborns because I feel like I can love whatever they've been through out of them. And so for me, newborn isn't, you know, just straight from the hospital. Sometimes I get them at five and a half months. Um, I've had one at nine months. Mm-hmm. Uh, so every you know, it, it really anything under one, I feel like like that is my area. I can expand mm-hmm. that to two. I feel like I can work to two. But a lot of times the kids that are in care have gone through so much in their short little lives. You just yeah. don't understand. Like you haven't been through that much in your grown adult life. Why that not? Kids mm-hmm. have been through in their short little lives on this planet. Wow. Wow. Awesome. So then um, you adopted her a year later. Okay. And then was there plans to, excuse me, adopt more, foster more? Or did you still want to biologically have your own child, your own biological child? I wanted to still have my biological child and adopt more. Okay. Okay. Lots of kids. But from the time that I lost Austin, 
until after Sydney, which was like three and a half years, somewhere along like that, there was, I never got pregnant. So I was in oh. So I was just starting to see an infertility specialist. Um, and they didn't know why. They didn't know what was going on. So then with, I must have been a day or two pregnant when I started going to the guy. So after, oh, okay. Right. After getting so sick, and I was like, I am just going to take myself into the hospital because I was sick and I wasn't getting better. They found out that I was pregnant. Mm. Okay. And so then with me being pregnant, of course, there was no need to see him. He wasn't a very nice guy at all. Um, okay. Yeah, he wasn't a nice guy. So he was upset that he told me that the baby would never live. You'll never carry her to term because you have some other complications and all of this. And so I asked him to tally up my last and final bill. Because the one thing I want all of your listeners to realize is that anybody you go to who is just feeding you negative news, there's a way to bring the truth and there's a way to bring, you know, the negative. You're soaking that in. You're taking that in. And so you get to your head to believe that what they're saying is true because they're the doctor or they're the specialist. My mom says it best all the time. She said somebody in doctor school had to just barely pass. Mm. But they passed. So when you're looking at this doctor and he's telling you this, if this is not what your heart is saying, your spirit is saying, move away. Get away. I asked him for my final bill because he was not Team Stacy. And whoever this baby was called to be, he was not Team Miss Baby either. He would have done everything, in my opinion, to prove himself correct that, see, you shouldn't have gotten pregnant. I told you she wasn't going to live. So I got away from him and found a doctor who told me the truth who told me that it, it, it was keeping him up at night. I mm. joke with people all the time and tell them that I thought I was pregnant with his child. <laughs> he was so serious about this case. He said that, you know, this would have been my second child, but he acted like I had a house full of kids. I mean, I now, but back then. <laughs> yeah. I have a house full of kids because he said he had been doing He had been delivering babies for almost 30 years and that no case has ever kept him up at night except mine. Wow. It was serious. Don't get me wrong. But when you walk in and your doctor is already defeated, ladies, get away. That is great advice. Great advice for losters. Find the doctor. Who is team you and team your baby. Yeah. Yeah, and if it doesn't sit well with you, if it doesn't feel right, there's plenty of doctors out there for sure. Yes, there are. Yes, there are. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. that. That means a lot to me, and I'm sure yeah. it's going to mean a lot to the, the people listening, all the listeners. So you're pregnant. Tell us how that pregnancy went. Because you know you have complications. You've already indicated that. You switched doctors so that the doctor could really help you hold this pregnancy. Were you able to hold the pregnancy? There was two months, when I was two months, like I said, my cervix started opening with her. Mm-hmm. But this doctor was so on it that he saw it. And so he said that he had this uh so my cervix shut, which he did, and I had to be on bed rest. So I was, you know, I was just terrified. But when I was the doctor's office, God said, don't worry, this baby is going to be fine. The other specialist, the infertility specialist, had been giving me medication that you weren't supposed to take when you're pregnant. I should have been on it for a little over a month. I was only on it for two weeks because I just stopped taking it, mm. which I did. I stopped. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to 
the doctor and they found out I was pregnant, I was like, I walked out of the thing just thinking, oh, my goodness, and I've taken that medicine for two weeks. And, uh, you know, and, and God said, don't worry, the baby will be fine. So I got my cerclage where they sold my uh, cervix shut. Mm-hmm. And then I was on bed rest. I got out for a doctor's appointment. So it's the only thing that I could get out and get up and, and do. Wow. So I I had spoken to a friend of mine. And for everybody, it's not only important who your doctor is. It's important who your team around you is. Mm. Good advice. So I called uh, a friend of mine who was pregnant in Chicago. And I called Latrice and I said, Everybody thinks I'm going to have my baby early. I said, I keep telling them, I am not having my baby early. And she asked me, she said, well, how do you know you're not going to have the baby early, Stacey? And I said, because God promised me she was going to be okay. Mm. And she told me right then and there, she said, Stacey, listen to the promise. He never promised you that she wouldn't come early. He promised you that she would be okay. Mm. I was like, well, that is two different things. Yes. I had spoken to her because a couple weeks later, a week later, I can't remember how long now exactly, I went into labor. Mm. I went into labor, and I wasn't panicked. I was only uh, 28 weeks and some days because, you know, she was only like like right at 29 weeks. So um, mm-hmm. I went into labor. I wasn't panicked. They had to fly me from Belleville to St. Louis because they tried to hold her in, but she was like, dang, she was coming, and there was nothing that could do to stop her. Yeah. And so I was so calm and relaxed because I was I already had the promise. Mm-hmm. The promise that she was going to be okay. And so when we get there, the doctor, the, they had the neonatologist come into the room. He speaks to me. He's telling me about how she's going to be born, not breathing. She'll be blue. She'll won't, she'll, uh, we'll have to resuscitate her. We'll have to pump surfactant into her lungs. We'll whisk her away for two days and you won't see her. And then after two days, you know, we'll send you over there. And so let, her, let me hold her and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, yeah, none of that's going to happen. <laughs> and so so then he goes into this whole spiel again about, okay, well, maybe you didn't hear what I said. And so mm-hmm. he goes into the whole spiel talking about all the brain bleed she's going to have because she's so early and all this. And sounds like, no, she's going to be fine. So then I guess he thought I was out of my gourd. So You're in denial or something, yeah. I'm in denial or something. So he looks at my mom and my sister who are sitting there in the room with me. They know the promise. They know not only have I stood on the promise, they have stood on the promise. And so he looks at them, he goes over the whole deal and tells them the same thing. And they're like, no, what she said, she'll be fine. So he leaves wow. out. So when this, fast forward to when this baby is born and there's 30 people in the room from, you know, neonatologists, she has a team of doctors. I have a team of doctors. She has a team of nurses. I have a team of nurses. Everybody was in the room. Mm -hmm. And she pops out screaming. And everybody is looking at each other. Oh, how I wish I had had a camera there as well. (laughs) Because they're like, they have the surfactant in their lung, in their hands because they, they know they got to pump this into her lungs. And she comes out screaming, and she was breathing room air, no oxygen, room air. Oh. And so then they're looking like, oh, my. And so they, they put everything up the back. They brought her over. They cleaned her up. They brought her over there for me to hold. And she stayed in the room as long as I did. She went to the special care nursery because she was so small. She was only three pounds at birth at nine-something. By that night, 
around midnight something, she dropped down to two and a half pounds. Mm-hmm. And she was not able to hold her own body heat. That was her her issue with her small weight and the fact that she couldn't hold her own body weight and suck, swallow, and breathe at the same time. Wow. They told me she would be in the in the NICU until in, a, in the special care nursery. She didn't go to NICU in the special care nursery until her date where she was supposed to be born. She was born April the 29th. Her date to be born was supposed to be July the 29th. Mm. She ended up being in the special care nursery for six and a half weeks. And they kicked her. (laughs) (laughs) What a little fighter. Yes, she is. She still has that same attitude. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, I, um, I I think back on that time, and and I think all the people who were around me, who were covering me, who were walking in the promise with me, and weren't saying negative things to me. Like I said, it really does make a big difference about who your group is, who your team is. Yeah, if you don't have a team, you need one. Yeah, and I and I think sometimes if you don't have them already surrounding you, seek them out. You know, definitely find, seek them out. Find those people because there are obviously, if you're listening to this and you need someone for your team, this girl I'm talking to, Stacy, <laughs> she could be part of your team. You know, the faith. Um, the positiveness you have is amazing. Thank amazing. you. I love that. So now you have, and what's the, your daughter's name? Your biological Diane. Name? Diane. Now you have Sydney and Diane. Yeah. Awesome. Yay. So then what? So then did you take a break? Got two little girls. I um, don't understand what break really is. <laughs> okay. So when Cyan was about four, I started doing foster care. I started doing foster care. She was about four years old. Um, my first placement was a nine-month-old who was severely, severely, I don't know how many severely's I could put on there to make you understand without being able to tell his story, mm-hmm. abused, Um and then his sister came right after that, um, probably mm, four months after that. They ended up returning home. And then I ended up doing other placements. So then I got my um, 10-year-old who we ended up adopting. Not mm-hmm. long after that came his 9-year-old sister. She was newborn as well, though, but she's 9 now. Mm-hmm. And I did some more placements in between there. A little boy who was uh, two and a half weeks old, I kept him for six and a half weeks. His uh, grandmother, biological grandmother, was preparing to uh, take custody of him, but had to get her house in order to get him uh, a bed and space and stuff. So then we had to return him. He was a difficult return because Mm -hmm. the he had assured me that we would be able to adopt him. And so that was that was difficult to hand him back over, um, knowing that when he was placed there, they said that his siblings had already been placed for adoption and mm-hmm. that they would uh, he would be able to stay here and I would have uh, the right to adopt him. Mm-hmm. So then after that, they said, well... What the lady told you wasn't true. I said, well, what part of it is not true? And they were like, he's not available for adoption. He's actually at the wrong agency. His siblings are at another agency, which he has to be at that agency. Yeah, so that was devastating. And then after that, we have uh, three um, that came, little ones. All came at birth, but we have all three of those who are still in care. They're four, three, and five months. Wow. 
So I'm overrun. I used to say all of the time, the girls, the girls, the girls. Now I'm always saying the boys. (laughs) It's a a difference. (laughs) Yes, there is definitely a difference for sure. I only had girls, but lots of um, nephews. So (laughs) it's rambunctious, the word you think about when you think about the boys. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So how many children have you adopted and or fostered? How many have been in your care? Do you know? I'm trying to add up the number as we speak. (laughs) Yeah, you're saying, and I'm like, okay, I'm losing track. How many, how many? Yeah, a lot. Nine. It would be nine. Nine. Yep, nine total. An amazing woman, touching all of those lives. Thank and you. then to think, too, then of all of those other children's lives you have touched with Austin's place prior to it being official and now official. I mean, you've probably touched hundreds of children's lives. Right now with Austin's place, we are probably at, a, a number of about 300. Wow. Yeah, we're about a number of about 300. And so for the listeners, just because I, I'm just at all, but I think people love, people are very willing to help um, and give. How can people support Austin's place? What do you, what do you need? Um, what do you we need help with? We take pampers. We take wipes, um, older clothes for kids. Um, she, you know, your kids have outgrown stuff. It's still really nice. You don't want to just throw it away. Um, a lot of people find that if they don't know anybody to do it, they just throw it away. Mm-hmm. We don't. We, we, we take those. We wash them up. We hand them out to kids that are in need. Right now I'm working on a partnership with another place to actually – um, store some of the stuff because mm-hmm. I do it out of my home only because I don't want any listener to give ten dollars to Austin's place and then only fifty cent of it goes to the kid because I got to pay the light bill for the room or I got to pay by storage shelves. I do all of that stuff out of my own pocket. If someone gives ten dollars, I want the ten dollars to go straight to the kids. And that's okay. whatever you give. Um, so, like I said, financial um, formula. A lot of people have formula, unopened formula. It's being opened now. Um, where their kid, you know, just said, hey, enough is enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need something real. I need some cow's milk or some juice. And so you have a can of two of formula that's left that's, that's still good, and it's unopened. We, we'll accept that as well because mm-hmm. there are people that are out there so some of the babies that are on WIC will get um, too much milk. There are some babies who are on WIC who, who don't get enough. You got one of those big rough, you know, those big farm boy eaters. You <laughs> have enough milk because they've only budgeted you for a certain amount. Or sometimes people in this uh, pandemic, they've lost their job. Yeah. So where they may have been a can of milk short. Um, normally, well, now that can of milk is, you know, $20. That's, $20 might not seem a lot if you have money, if you're sitting where you're sitting right now. But mm-hmm. when you've lost your job and you're trying to figure out how to pay the rent and how to keep the water on and how to keep the lights on, $20 is a lot of money. Yeah. We use book bags. Um, before I retired, my job helped me come up with a with a book bags where we – provide book bags for kids that are in foster care because generally when we get kids in care, a lot of times they come with the clothes that they have on their back. Mm, They come from the hospital or not. So you don't have anything of your own. So those book bags contain a bath towel, a face towel, soap, water, deodorant, toothbrush, toothpaste, a little comb and a brush. For the bigger kids, they had a journal in there and a notebook, an ink pen and a pencil. And then for the smaller kids, they had uh, they didn't have the writing material. They had a crayons and a coloring book and a small toy. 
and each book bag had a handwritten card from somebody um, that says, mm. we love you, we're praying for you, and your life won't always be this way. Because the one thing we know is that when we're going through something, it feels like we're the only one. I felt like mm. I was the only one when I lost Austin. Yeah. You know, yeah. I questioned God. We had, we had, we had talked. Some of it was shouting matches. Mm-hmm. Because I felt like I was the only one. Well, then when you reach out to people, you really can change their life and make a difference. So me reaching out and everybody hearing my story, I know I lost two. Oh, I know I lost three. Oh, I got into incompetent service as well. My mm-hmm. own mom told me how she lost um, the child right after me, but before my youngest sister. She mm. said, and she almost lost her life with it. Wow. Yeah. Baby. So, you know, you don't hear about these things. Nobody is willing to talk about it. And I'm not saying it's something that I do. I broadcast every day. I can tell you that every day I look at the symbol for Austin's place, I smile. Yeah. But I had to get there. I had to get there. But if nobody will speak about it because it is too painful, then the next person doesn't know that they're not alone and that you can get through it. You would have told me back then that I would be okay and that I would have the life that I have now after I'd lost him. I'd have been like, no. Mm -hmm. But if I had had somebody showing me, hey, it can be done, keep putting one foot in front of the other, and it can be done. Yeah. It would have been a little easier for me to see that, hey, I'm not the only one, and how is she surviving? How is she surviving? You know, but nobody talks about it until you say, hey, guess what happened to me? Yeah, and I think it's a lot easier now with social media and um, so people are reaching out and hearing more about it, um, those people. But every person, no matter they know someone or not, feels totally alone um, as they go through infertility, as they go through loss. But in time, they find those other people. People reach out, which is huge. And, and that's what I would say to the listeners. You know, just reach out. Just be there for that person. Right. Um, God will take care of of connecting you as long as you're open to be connected to someone to help you through the journey. Right. And you don't have to broadcast it. No. Hey, look at me. I I lost a child. They, like you said, God will connect you. They will Mm -hmm. find you. But you have to be willing to tell your story. And sometimes... Painful. There are days now that I think, okay, what would he have been doing now? Would he be doing this? Or how tall would he be? I wonder if he would, you know, and, and, and I have to stop myself there because sometimes that can take you to a place that you don't mm-hmm. want to go. Mm-hmm. Because then you think about more about the law than you think about, okay, what is going to do for Austin's place today? Who needs us today? Who needs food? Which families need food today? Which families need clothes today? Um, yeah. it, it drives me because I'm always thinking about um, who we can help ne- next in his name. Yeah. Who we can help next in his name. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm glad that you mentioned that, because I think even though it's been a, been a while for you, grief never goes away. It's always there. There are things that are <laughs> trigger it. It will be with you for the rest of your life. Um it sounds like you know. Um, I know the how current. to switch it, yeah, to what you've done in his in his name in his honor. You know, it helps you get through if those I, times. Right. If I were to sit down and look at his ultrasound tapes, mm. I'd probably be done for the day. I know that. Mm. Yeah. Those tapes are there for me, but I don't need to look at them every day. Mm-mm. I need to focus on what we can do to help other kids. There's nothing in my humanly power that I could have done to save him. No, no, no. 
So me feeling bad about the fact that my body turned on him and I couldn't save him is not going to get me anywhere. So it's all in the way that I look at things. I want to say I statements on this. It's all in the way that I look at things. I can say, oh, my goodness, I can't believe my body turned on him. I'm through that stage now. Mm -hmm. So now I get to focus on the fact that I can help other kids in his name. Because Mm -hmm. the other kids, I can do something about. I cannot change their situation totally, but I don't think a baby should wear a pamper until it falls off. I don't don't believe that. So I can help. Maybe we can change this baby more often here. Here's some pampers or here's some formula or here's some, you know, some resources that you can go here or you can go there and talk to these people if you're having a problem with your you know, your your uh, housing or something like that. So I want well, to I think, Yeah. I, I think that's a big big thing what you just said is just helping them with the resources of where to go. Because sometimes when you're in the the middle of it all, you just can't even think. You just don't know. You know, we don't know what we don't know and to be able to help them with resources, um, that's that's a big deal. Um, it is. Just finding the places to be able to assist you because if you've never been in a situation before, then you've never had the need to see who will help you with your power bill because yeah. you've always had your power bill. Yeah. yeah. You know, so that's that's the thing to even just get you connected with somebody that can help yeah. or can answer your questions about uh, some of the things that are going on. I don't know it all. I don't even pretend that I do. I don't know it all, but I will try to help you to the best of my ability. Yeah, connect you to, if you don't know, connect you to someone else that may know. That's, that's great. That is great. I want to go back just a little bit um, because you had indicated that, that your, you, which, is, which is true, that your body failed you. But I think sometimes with women, I just want to touch on this just real, real quick, is women blame themselves. But you've gotten past that blame. Yeah. Um, and I and I think that's key for the listeners to know that yeah you know your body failed you. Um, it probably took you quite a while to realize that yes you know but you were not in control of your of what your body did and to yeah. not blame yourself because I think women do. They are the they are the vessel to carry that child, and they feel like they're in total control of their body, and a lot of times they're not. So there needs to be that not blaming the self. I actually blamed myself because, in my mind, he counted on me. Yeah, yeah. Counted on me to get him here safely. Mm-hmm. And so. I let him down because my body, I failed him because my body failed me. Mm-hmm. And so it was, a, it, it was a crazy way of thinking about it. But when you're in that deep of uh, sadness and grief, everything makes sense. Yeah. My body had no control over it failing me. I had no control over me failing him. Yeah. So I can't sit and blame myself every day. I do wish I had known. A lot of the doctors after that told me, you are so lucky that you only lost one baby. Mm. They said because most people lose three to five. Now, this was back then. Most people lose three to five babies before we figure out what's wrong. Wow. So, you know, you don't, at at that point, you just don't consider yourself lucky because Mm -hmm. you want too many. Um, But five is extreme. Yeah. Um, Don't consider yourself lucky, but they did figure it out. And if they didn't know when they've gone to school for these things, how could I have known? (laughs) It feels like my service is opening. It feels like the babies dropped through. I had no idea. Yeah. So why am I going to keep blaming myself? I yeah. hate it happen. And so I I get the question a lot, if you could change it, would you change it? 
Mm. I said, that's not a fair question to ask me today. If you had asked me back then, the answer would have, I wouldn't have had to think about it. The answer would have been yes. But to change it now changes everything. It changes yeah. everything. Because I truly believe that if I had had him, he had lived, I would have never done foster care. I would have only mm. adopted. Mm. So all the children that I have adopted are in foster care that we're uh, getting ready to adopt. I would have to let all of them go for foster. Yeah. So it's yeah. not a fair question. Yeah. It's yeah. not a fair question at all. Yeah. Because I can't. I can't let them go. Mm-mm. I wouldn't let them go. Right. right. Back then, I would have never known them. So, to, yes, I want my son <laughs> to reverse yeah. it, switch it yeah. back, cut the light yeah. on. I don't, I don't know, but now it's not fair. Yeah, yeah. So as we conclude, I have one other I want you to touch on real quick, and then we'll conclude. But I know that you are a motivational speaker now. Tell us just briefly a little bit about that. Everywhere I go, people always say that you are such a motivational speaker. You can you can talk to us and things that other people have told us, you make us understand. I've talked to drug groups. I've talked to women's groups. Um, I love doing it. Um, my grandmother was a key uh, for that because when I needed someone to speak to, I spoke with her. And in her own way, like the average person wouldn't get her motivation, I did. She would tell me things like we get up in the morning about 5 or so and we do a whole bunch of things, and by 6.30 or 7 o'clock we'd each be on the phone with each other. And we'd be saying what we would do, what we'd done that morning, and she would say things like, you're not even smart enough to be lazy. And her (laughs) was longer than mine. And I would say, so now you know where I got it from. But that was her <laughs> way of motivating me. That's not really the kind of motivation I do, but I loved her. And so just to encourage people that you can do better, you can do more, and even like with the kids with the backpacks, your life hasn't always been like this, so know that it's not going to always be like this. But there is always opportunity for change and there's opportunity for growth, and you can do it. You just got to be able to get the right people around you, get the right team surrounding you, and the people in your ear are speaking positive and not negative. Because whether you like it or not, when we're around negative, we soak it up. When we're around positive, we soak it up. Make sure that you're positioning yourself to take in something that is positive so that you can give out something that is positive. Awesome. Well, I was going to conclude with um, you giving words of encouragement or advice, and I think you just did that. Yes. Do you have anything to add to that? (laughs) That was amazing. For the ladies who are suffering loss, I definitely would want to encourage you to speak to somebody. It doesn't have to be a friend. It doesn't. You may feel that your family is so tired. They're so tired of me saying his name. Mm. They're so tired of me. Step away from them. It's not that they want to be mean to you. They know that this is a point that hurts you, and they want to change it. They want to fix it for you, and they can't. So when you're going to them and you feel like they don't understand what you're saying or they're just blowing you off, know that their primary purpose is to help you and fix you, and they know that there's no way they can do that Mm. without giving you your child back. So step away. Talk to somebody who is not um, in the family or anything like that. Me, for me, a, a, a thing that helped me was I would write his name all the time. And I don't do that anymore. But when I needed that, it pushed me through. I never say my kids without starting with him. He is the first. 
it lets everybody know that I have not forgotten, nor I never will forget. But it's a comfort for me when they say, uh, tell me your kids' names, and I start with Austin. Or when even now, sometimes I'll get in a, in a mood where I want to write all their names, or we're trying to think of the next kid's name, and I connect the names, and I always write his name first. So just make sure that you're taking care of yourself mentally, that you're finding people who can support this part of your journey. Your family may have been there to support the first part when the loss happened or, or, you know, uh, in those months or or the years or after that. But you may need to take a step further and find another team to support this leg of your journey. Awesome. Beautifully said. Great. Thank you. Great advice for the listeners. Great advice for the listeners. And I do believe that through our journey of life, we have different people that um, enter into our life and leave our life. And we need to be open to that. And I love that you said, if you need someone new in your life, seek them out. So I love that. Right. A lot of people don't know what you're going through um, yeah. if you don't tell them. Yeah. I'm a, I've, I've been a private person all of my life. And it's difficult for me to say, hey, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm dealing with. But then it's not fair for me to get upset with you if you don't know what I'm going through or what I'm dealing with. I never Mm -hmm. told you. Yeah, yeah. I I have to open my mouth and say it. It's the only way that we can support each other and we can comfort each other, just like you're doing with the podcast. You're allowing us to open our mouths and tell our story because my story is going to help somebody, but somebody else's story is going to help me. Yeah, true. So true. So true. Real quickly, um, do you have a website for Austin's Place? I just actually have, I, I use Austin's Place, and usually people just go to my website um, to see. I don't post a lot of pictures about Austin's Place because I have a hard time. I really don't hardly post anything on there because I'm so concentrated on working um, with the kids, and I work with the foster care agency helping with the kids, and then I Mm -hmm. work with school teachers who are um, calling, who call me when kids are in need of things, but they don't have supplies or clothes or, you know, mm-hmm. kids that come to school with no socks on every day because they don't have socks or because mm-hmm. as old as it was um, when they were still going to school that they don't have coats on and it's freezing outside. So I work more with that. Um, but anybody who would like to uh, get to me, they can get to me. It's on it's on Austin's Place um, website, but then I have my own personal website, which is uh, Stacy J ten twenty four at gmail.com. You could send me a little message in Messenger and say, hey, I heard about you from um, the podcast and uh, Labor Pains podcast, and you can send me a message and I'll get back with you. Keep in mind it might be a day or two because there's a lot of little people at my house. Schools <laughs> and therapies, and I think we have 11 therapies a week. We have a bunch of schools. Yeah. Uh, Zoom classes, and <laughs> so, but I will, I definitely um, will respond back to you. I want to encourage everybody here to to do something. You don't have to, you know, if, if you don't donate to Austin's Place, if you don't um, do anything with any of the stuff that I do, find somebody in your neighborhood. You know the kid who's hungry. You know the kid who's not properly dressed. Find something to do to help a kid. I tell everybody to change one of these kids changes the whole world. Mm. And we can do it if everybody does their part. Yeah. It's a small little part. If everybody does their small little part, we really can change the world. And I'm not shooting for anything short of a world changer. You are a world changer. And I really appreciate you taking this time today to share with me and the listeners um, 
to encourage them, to give them inspiration and hope. Been amazing talking to you, and I want to just thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, Stacy, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story, sharing your journey with us. I'm sure you have encouraged so many of those that have listened and given tons and tons of advice. I truly appreciate that. And listeners, thank you so much for taking some part of your precious time today to listen to the podcast. If indeed Stacy has encouraged you, um, has shared some advice that was very worthwhile to you, write us a review. We would appreciate that. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast so that you do not miss an episode. And as always, the most important thing is for you to share this podcast with someone that is feeling very alone, that is struggling with infertility or loss of a child. Sharing this with them will be so beneficial, I believe, to them. So make sure that you do that. Um, And if you need to connect uh, with me, You can do so at Women Connect and Support on Facebook. I would love for you to reach out to me there. If you indeed yourself would like to share your story with me or even with me and on the podcast, I would love that. I would love to hear your story about your journey. We know that sharing our story is very, very powerful and that by sharing it, it always inspires others and gives them hope. Just as Stacy indicated during the podcast. Thank you.